Greetings, and thank you for continuing your journey with the Lionhead Gaming Heroes of Thylea podcast, our mythical Greek D&D adventure where the players know they are the chosen ones from the very beginning. This is the five-episode recap for episodes six through ten, written by Melanie, edited and read by Jordan, owner of Lionhead Gaming and DM of Heroes of Thylea. Without further ado, let us now begin. While the rest of the party drank and talked amongst themselves within the Dragon Tooth's Inn, Nyx took her patronage to another establishment, the Silky River, a pleasure house in Astoria. She greeted Leonidas, an old friend, warmly, and chatted for a bit before settling in for the night with him. She left the next morning to regroup with the rest of the Oracle's Chosen. Theamos, on the other hand, was invited to sleep at his father's house. Of course, in this case, his father is Pythor, and his father's house is the royal palace. Theamos talked to his aunt, Kira, to better understand what this oath of secrecy was surrounding his parents' wedding. After their conversation, he went into the library to get a head start on researching whatever he could on the Rock of Estor, where they were to be chained if Sidon accepted them instead of his sister to fulfill his sacrificial demands. Everyone did their own thing the following day. Sophia found someone willing to help her learn more magic, convincing Davos with some coin to be a sort of mentor and ally. Atreus hung about the Agora, eating local meals and chatting with the townsfolk, and Mercury spent the day advertising a show he was going to be performing at the Dragon's Tooth Inn, thinking such a spectacle would raise everyone's spirits and put a spotlight on his party. Nyx and Imperia strolled around town, making idle chatter about the mortals of Thylea and how their short lives vary from their own, who would live to be a millennia before their spirits passed. At the end of their stroll, they approached the palace with the intention on doing research about the Stone of Estor themselves, but changed course when they saw Aesop, who paced outside the temple with a concerned look on his face. The relic he was meant to pr protect had been stolen, the two nymphs investigated, finding only a dangling vine hanging off the balcony. Inferius spoke to the small vine to see if it would give her a more clear answer on what went on in this place, but all it could do was sing a small tune of growth. The vine started to slowly wrap around her finger as she spoke to it, but realizing that it didn't have much else to say, she left it alone while they continued investigating. They eventually discovered small footprints, hoof prints, in fact, leading to the balcony and presumably down the plant. In the middle of their investigation, Inferia realized she was starting to get a bit lightheaded. The tiny plant around her arm was embedding itself into her skin like a vein. She was able to cast command on the plant, telling it to release her, and it fell from her hand, withered up, and died. The nymphs then tracked the hoofprints to the eastern gate of Astoria, finding spots of wine around the tracks, but they did not want to leave the city on their own. So with the help of Inferia's mechanical bird, Ivis, the rest of the group was summoned to meet them where they could share what was learned. They continued tracking the prints a few hours out of Astoria, but were hesitant to go much further. Instead, they asked Kyra to scout out ahead, just to get an idea of how far the thieves had gone. But so that she wouldn't miss any of the party's deeds in the city, Kyra left them with a small little canary. A divine eye of sorts, 
which they promptly named Kiki. Meanwhile, they went back into the city where Gaius gathered a crowd for an important announcement. Sidon had agreed to take the oracles chosen as the sacrifice, but under different conditions. This would be a sacrifice by combat. They were to be chained to each other. Lutheria's servants would watch, and they must not receive aid in the form of new weapons, consumables, or armor crafted by any other hands than their own. Immediately, everyone split up to gather as much information as they could, knowing they had little over a week before sacrifice day. Inferia went straight to Vulcan's hall, where she met the old god of the forge, who seemed to be a bit out of sorts, but was kind and patient with her nonetheless. She asked about how to fight and kill monsters, most notably those conjured by Sidon. Nix and Theomos retreated to the palace library to find past events of this kind as a way to navigate what they might be facing. But they didn't know how any of the scrolls were organized or where to begin searching for what they needed. The only one who could really help them was Honora, the princess. Theomos went to visit his sister while Nix did her best to find something useful to do with her time. Despite being held in a cell, Princess Nora was made comfortable by having her office essentially relocated so she could continue working for Astoria while she was bound to the palace. As it turns out, Nora is Theomos' twin sister. After a brief reunion, Nora agreed to help her brother, especially considering that he was willing to put his life on the line to protect her, someone he hadn't even met. At the end of the night, everyone gathered back at the Dragon's Tooth Inn, where Mercury had drummed up enough attention for his performance that the place was packed. Themos convinced the entire royal family to come, allowing Honora some freedom from the palace. Mercury played on his lute and sang beautifully to the crowd, uplifting their spirits and giving them a distraction from the chaos that recently hit their city. Mercury's performance was just what Astoria needed. After dealing with the threat of losing their beloved princess, they found solace in his song, and he was even invited to play for a reputable jeweler in the city, Callista. He eventually arrived at the table that his compatriots were sitting at, and was introduced to the princess who had come to see the performance. With family being one of the most important things to the siren, he encouraged Anora and Theomos to talk to each other about their lives and make up for lost time. Inferia made her way out of the crowded inn and sat on one of the hills surrounding Astoria to overlook the city peacefully. Many started turning in for the night, several staying at the Dragon's Tooth Inn, including Nyx this time, but Theomos would again sleep in the palace, inviting Sophia to join him for the night. She agreed, glad to have a free room to sleep in, even if that's not quite what Theomos meant when he invited her. The group had planned to investigate the Sunavestor in the morning, and those who awoke early gathered back up in the Dragon's Tooth Inn. Mercury, Inferia, and Nyx met each other for breakfast, conversing casually. It seems that both Mercury and Nyx were enchanted by Princess Honora's beauty, which perplexed Inferia, who didn't seem to have much experience of that nature. Theomos joined the trio later, and immediately asked Mercury to stop flirting with his sister, who he just met like eight hours ago. Mercury assured him that he wasn't aiming to seduce the princess, he just wanted to offer his friendship, since he knew firsthand what kind of a life a noble leads. A fact that shocked everyone, 
But Mercury thought he had made it perfectly clear when he said, I'm looking for my island. He really meant it as a noble looking for his people. Once Sophius and, At and Atreus joined, the Oracle's Chosen immediately departed to check out the Stone of Estor that they were to be chained to. Sophia measured its size, took diligent notes about the surrounding area, and found in the center of the stone was a rod, one which Nyx used her magical sight to look upon. But she didn't have a very vast understanding of magic, so she consulted with Sophia to fill in the gaps about this item that possessed transmutation, evocation, and necromantic magic from top to bottom. Sophia was able to discern, through the magic of Identify, that this combination of magic had a specific purpose. The rod itself seemed to be for the rock, and the magic would not affect any of them during their sacrifice by combat. After the note-taking was done, they all dispersed back into town to further their research. Inferior showed Sophia the way to Vulcan's Hall, where the acromantic wizard quickly purchased chains of varying sizes in order to test how much force would be required to break them. Inferia moved to the eastern gate after dropping off Sophia so she could wait for Kira to return, concerned for the goddess that they sent out the day before. Theomos asked around for any recent events surrounding the rock to make sure there wasn't anything set up that would hurt their chances. Nyx and Mercury went to the palace to study. Well, Nyx did the studying. Mercury took a stroll around the palace with Princess Honora. Nyx learned that the Titans could no longer wield their power abusively as they had in the past, especially in sacrifice by combat. The mortals of Thylea demanded fairness in these events, and trickery would not be tolerated. Knowing that Sidon wasn't going to immediately thunderbolt them on sight, Nyx started to feel more hopeful at the task ahead. Meanwhile, Mercury chatted with Enora about her responsibilities and devotion to Astoria. She was one who cared deeply about her people, just as Mercury did for the people of his missing island. He told her about the canaries that used to fly around and the way his people played music to spread the joy and love of Kyra to those they met. In fact, the only reason he even left was because his father was considering joining the other kingdoms of Thylea. But after journeying away from home, it seemed that no one had heard of Yavin, not even once. Not even Kyra, who was so beloved there. Honora stood by him as he shared his tale, offering him a listening ear, just as he did for her. On the eastern side of Astoria, Kira finally returned to the city. Though winded from the journey, she was eager to share what she learned. Inferia helped her to the palace and shared her information. The tracks went south and wound around the Archelon River, heading into the thick old woods. She suspected that they had taken the Horn of Balmitria, the stolen relic from the church, and one of the items that the heroes needed in their quest, to the Mossy Temple. Their time was short, and leaving Astoria with a little over a week until the sacrifice was dangerous. Sophia consulted a map and weighed a couple different options. Following the tracks was long-winded and unnecessary, but if they traveled back to the Oracle's temple and then veered south into the old woods, it would save them a couple days. Their greatest task would then be finding the multi-temple itself, which was within an unknown spot in the forest. Kira was able to narrow it down, but the rest would fall to the shoulders of the heroes. 
But in order for them to take this side jaunt, they would have to leave. Now, everyone dispersed to gather supplies and bid farewell. Sophia telling Davos that she would be departing, and if he wanted anything while she was out searching for this mysterious and magical temple, now was the time to ask. Davos requested a couple of ingredients that he wanted from the old woods that would aid in his crafts, all of which could be mutually beneficial to Sophia, so she agreed and took some alchemist supplies to collect samples. Mercury promised Nora that they would return, however, promise is not enough in Thylea, and so he made an oath to her that they would return. Theamos had to make a similar oath when he asked Pythor for horses so they could travel faster along the roads. He was a little apprehensive at first, but would be persuaded if Theamos took the oath to return alive. Unlike Mercury, however, Theamos added his own terms into the agreement that Pythor must not drink for a month. Taken aback by the counter, Pythor agreed nonetheless. After rushing around Astoria to gather supplies, the Oracle's Chosen set out on the trail to reclaim the Horn of Baumaitria, an item that would give them visions of the future and be the first of three great labors they had to perform before facing Lutheria and Sidon. But right as they were about to leave, Mercury could feel a sense of panic. Not his own, but Anora's. He took an oath to return before the Night of Sacrifice, and that oath connected the two emotionally. Sure enough, Anora was running down the palace steps towards the group with scrolls in her arms as guards tried to keep up with her pace. She handed them to Mercury one by one. The strange magics of the titans and mortal struggle. The records of heroics and tragedy. And the last one she recommended should go to Nyx. Mortality and what happens after it all. The author's name caught her eye. Azarios. Honora mentioned this scroll was one of his best works, and Nyx was shocked to hear there was more. The princess informed her she could find some of his original writings in the Academy in Mitros. Nyx took a moment to stare at the name again, running her thumb over the letters emblazoned in the case before tucking it away into her priest pack and mounting her horse for the journey. Their plan went smoothly. The first length of it was to go by horseback to the Oracle's temple. They left their mounts and beasts of burden with the attendants there, as well as abandoning their heavier equipment, save for a few tents, to continue on foot into the old woods. Inferior was able to find a clearing for them to rest when the sun went down, and after camp was set up, but before watches were doled out, Atreus asked to speak to the entire group. He had been thinking about what Kira had told them about the Oath of Fellowship, and how it would keep them connected. Sophia was still adamantly against swearing an oath without the guidance of her patron to permit it. But everyone else locked hands and swore an Oath of Fellowship to each other so that they were bound by the Oath's magic and camaraderie. The first set of watches by the party ever began, with Mercury and Theamos taking first. Theamos confronted Mercury with how close he was getting to his sister, Princess Anora. Of course, could you blame Theamos? Mercury was an actor and a singer, why wouldn't he try to bed the lovely princess? But Mercury assured Theamos that he had no intentions on romancing her. He simply wanted to befriend her and connect with another noble. 
Later during their watch, Mercury talked about his island with Theamos and how Kira rested upon it and blessed the land, which is why his people worshipped her as opposed to Sidon like other sirens. Second watch was taken up by Nyx and Sophia. After reading some bits of scroll, Sophia directly asked Nyx how old she was, knowing that nymphs were long-lived creatures, and wondered if she knew of the mossy temple. Nyx, amused by her companion's straightforwardness, answered honestly. She was born shortly after the Oath of Peace had been signed, making her about 500 years old. Despite her age and centuries of travel, she had only heard of the mossy temple in passing, and did not know much. Her visions never led her to the temple. Nyx then inquired about this patron that the Stygian answered to, and she re responded in kind about the pale moon moth who guided the Akromatikos family for generations and is largely why they became powerful and such a esteemed reputation. Any deal that needed making and oath that needed swearing was only done if their patron allowed it. But when Sophia took over as the head of that family, that voice stopped speaking. She was forced to make choices on her own, otherwise business would fail. But without the guidance of their patron, she started making mistakes. Costly mistakes. The rest of the night went unimpeded, and they continued to travel the next day. Thanks to their coordination, they were able to travel through the old woods rather quickly, with Theamos and Atreus trailblazing, Nyx and Inferia navigating. Their teamwork proved fruitful, and they were able to begin the search for the temple's exact positioning ahead of schedule. Their next night in the old woods went with little interruption as well, but Nyx saw a pair of blue lights watching their camp from behind the brush. They winked out of existence shortly thereafter, leaving nothing behind. Their third day in the woods, Inferia realized that the long-lived trees of this place may be able to guide them toward their destination. One of the ancient oaks actually directed the party towards the southeast, where they found a set of ruins and hoofprints, but the sun had already begun to set, and so they simply set up camp here. This night, Sophia spent her time reading one of the scrolls that Honora had given them, starting with the records of heroics and learning more about the nuances of a sacrifice by combat as well as Sidon's preference for petrification. Thankfully, the scroll noted ways to end this horrible condition. Nyx, on the other hand, stared at her scroll, simply running a thumb over the author's name and saying very little. She hadn't even opened the case yet. But in the distance, they could hear distant howling. Without hesitation, Sophia and Nyx awoke everyone from their slumber just in time. A pack was approaching, and they were cornered. The Oracle's Chosen were hastily awoken when Nyx and Sophia heard this howling, a pack of wolves surrounding their group rather intentionally. Combat immediately broke out, with our casters trying to strike before the beasts got close. But strangely enough, these creatures could dispel magic and continue their pursuit. The two largest wolves barked to each other, seeming to communicate before selecting their targets. One of them aimed for Sophia, charging straight for her, before stopping suddenly. Nyx may have been the only one who noticed. Its eyes turned into two pale blue flames and turned towards the nymph. Rather than running, Nyx met its gaze, preparing to fight it with her spiritual weapon, a spear that looked like it was made of the night sky. 
Mercury cleared a good number of the smaller wolves with magical missiles shooting down from the sky, and Amphiria slaying the other large wolf as Nyx was pinned down by the first. Nyx eventually got the killing blow against her wolf, and as she called for her starry spear to whip around and pierce through the creature's head, she saw the starry silhouette of her mother, Breeza, take a hold of the spear and kill the beast before glittering away into stardust. When everything quieted down, the oracle's chosen took some time to mend wounds and skin the beasts. Nyx wanted to keep the hide of the wolf she had slain, making good on her promise to it that she would take down any more monsters that, she, that would hunt her. Their fourth day of travel focused on trailing after the hoofprints on the ground, as well as inferior talking to the trees from more directions. Eventually, they found themselves at the mossy temple, just as the forest grew quiet. A woman with tan skin and dark curly hair ran towards their group, clearly in trouble. It wasn't long before they saw a group of goatlings trailing after her. The oracle's chosen sprang into action, keeping the woman back as they focused on the monsters that approached. Despite their minor use of magic, the goatlings were picked off quickly, although they were annoying the whole way through. One of them tried to escape, leaving an illusion behind, though Nyx was able to see right through it, and Theamos pursued the runaway, able to put him down before he retreated into the temple. The woman thanked the oracles chosen for their assistance. Her name was Corinna, a descendant of one of the dragon lords, Phobos. She explained that she and her friends arrived at the temple and lost track of time after consuming some bizarre flora beneath it. Knowing her friends were still inside, the oracles chosen took a short rest to patch their wounds. Corinna told them all she remembered about the grove her friends were left in and what they could expect underneath. So when they ventured forth, they would know what they were looking for. A river that crossed through it, a giant stump covered in clovers, and a likely band of adolescents grouped up around a patch of bright, colorful flowers. Sophia used her rest to continue drawing out the map to the Mossy Temple and took diligent notes on the concealment magic that was used to keep it hidden from the world. After taking their short rest, the Oracle's Chosen entered the Mossy Temple, a structure that looked to be withering away with time. Sophia was curious about a part of this place covered in mist and found the remains of what would have been a bathhouse. Everyone else who got too close felt the urge to get in. Mercury and Corinna thought taking a moment to relax in the bath would be perfect. As soon as they got in, the pool itself moved and consumed them, revealing that the pool itself was an ooze. A pools, if you will. Sophia cast grease beneath Corinna, sliding her out with ease, but Mercury was further in and could not escape. Theamos eventually got the killing strike, using fire magic to evaporate the ooze and catch the falling siren in his arms. They continued further into the temple, passing a mural, which depicted two dryads dancing hand in hand around a giant red tree. Inferia thought it may have depicted the keepers of this place in the past, and oddly enough, she did think that the tree in the mural seemed familiar somehow. A set of stairs led the party below ground, leading them to an underground grove. The first thing they saw was an adolescent boy being chased by a goatling, who was eager to sink his teeth into the young flesh. Literally. 
The party sprung into action, clearing out this goatling as well as several others that were watching for fun and were eager to have a bite themselves. After making sure the young man was okay, the group split up across the grove. Sophia immediately went to the giant stump in the sitter, which, as Corinna said, was covered in grey clovers. She realized that someone who may have been a follower of the Pale Moon Moth must have been here at some point before. Another curious thing about this stump was the urn in the center of it. While her compatriots were going around the grove, Sophia began a ritual to identify the urn and learned that it was protected by abjuration as well as divination magic, which would inform the caster if it was moved. Inferia and Nick saw some Thylean natives gathered by one end of the river, where it flowed into the grove from above ground, and walked over to ask about this place. They were told about Demetria, a sister to the dryad who once protected this grove. She arrived here after abandoning her own, and seemed to acquire the aid of a Gigan as some sort of guard. There were also Maenads further within the temple to worry about, which would explain the many goatlings crawling throughout this place. As the nymphs walked back towards their party, Inferia contemplated Demetria's betrayal. Being a dryad of a lost grove herself, she couldn't help but wonder if the corruption is why Demetria abandoned her grove, or if the corruption of her grove came after her abandoning it. Mercury, Theamos, and Atreus saw the group of teenagers Corinna mentioned gathered at the end of the river and enjoying the colorful flowers. But goatlings began to pop out from behind rocks, behind waterfalls, hiding amongst the flowers. Trying to fight off the intruders who were keen on disturbing their debauchery, Nyx ran in to help her friends and locked eyes with one of these goatlings, whose eyes glowed with a blue flame and ran straight for the nymph. As each goatling fell, the fire would shift to a new host, continuing its pursuit until they were all slain and the teenagers were safe. With the displaced adolescents now safe, the oracle chosen did a headcount to make sure everyone was accounted for. Unfortunately, it seemed a handful were missing and were potentially further within the temple. The party took another short rest, knowing Demetria was up ahead and did not want to face her if they were exhausted. It didn't seem the rest of the temple knew they were here, so it was safe for now. Sophia took this chance to harvest some of the flowers that the adolescents had been consuming realizing that these should be the flowers that Davos wanted her to collect for his research. After their rest, the party continued down a long hall, opening every door on the way in search of the missing teens. The sights would not be easily forgotten. One room was filled with maenads tended to newly birthed goatlings, which they quickly cleared out. Another held more of the teenagers, engaged in a orgy while influenced by the aphrodisiac plant life of the grove. The door at the end of the hall was the worst yet, with the smell of cooked meat wafting from it and goatlings in the middle of preparing a meal. Through the door, they could hear mention of what was on the menu. Four of the boys from the group. Another quick combat ensued. Not a single goatling could escape to warn of their arrival. The dining hall had to be close, and they pressed on. Nyx, however, did stay behind for a few moments to line up four stacks of drachmi and say a prayer for the boys who had a horrid exit from this life and wished them a better entry into the next. They arrived at the dining hall, finding the last four missing adolescent girls sitting at the long table of questionable food. 
In the center was an ornate drinking horn, the horn of Balmitria. Demetria sat at the head of the table with her Geigen guard at her side. She was regaining regaling her enchanted guests with a story about the dragon lords and how they came to this place and took what they pleased. But thanks to Lutheria, she could now finally exact her revenge. She was given the strength and magic to leave her grove and follow the Titan of Dreams instructions until one of those related to her sister's murderer would arrive. She looked, strangely enough, to Sophia, Realizing the Stygian was a relative to the one who killed her sister and chopped down their mother tree. In a rage, she targeted the small wizard, attacking her first. Next, used her new gift of sun's glow and night suffering to give Sophia an advantage against Demetria's attack. This act pulled the corrupted dryad's attention to her for a moment. She grinned horribly at the doomed nymph, mentioning that she was Lutheria's pet project but for what purpose she did not explain. Thankfully, the distraction was more than enough for Sophia to cast Sleeping Throth on Demetria and her Geigen before slipping away into the hall where attacks could not reach her. Theomos and Atreus made quick work of her and finished off the Geigen very easily thanks to Sophia's spell. The young girls at the table had long run from the site of the battle, presumably joining the others at the grove. There was little left of Demetria, mostly ashes as fire consumed her, but a key to her room could be found. They grabbed the horn of Balmitria and immediately went to her room. Nyx wasted no time turning the place over, desperate for answers. She knew Lutheria was the one that toyed with her, for a fact now, but she still didn't know why. Unfortunately, there weren't very many answers, but the key did unlock a chest within the room. Several trinkets contained within, including several rings, and a book bound with human skin. Mercury recognized one of the rings as being the trident of Yavin. It was his father's. But that didn't make any sense. His father was supposed to be back on Yavin. Well, the now missing Yavin. It looks like he also had more questions that needed answering. While going through the loot, Nyx also noticed that the horn of Balmatria had smoke billowing up from the wine within. She rolled her eyes at the nagging prophetic item and picked it up to take a drink, encouraging the others to do the same. Collectively, they began to have a vision. They saw themselves standing on a massive ship in broad daylight, with a device in their hand that could see the constellations. It was as if the image of the night sky was within it. Looking below, they saw this ship was rowed by corpses, and some even realized that they were upon the Ultros, an infamous ghost ship. Everyone awoke from the vision, ready to discuss what they saw, except Sophia, who was not quite finished. She was still on the Ultros, and saw color fading away from the scene until she was surrounded by grey. She then found herself on the docks of Mitros as coin exchanged hands with the one who cut the mossy temple's tree. Darkness enveloped her again. Voices spoke around her. Some were incantations, others clear sentences. She heard conversations from her ancestors and then a call for her, asking if she can hear one particular speaker. Maybe her ancestor? Her patron? 
Whoever it was, they told her they needed to go to Mount Othris. They needed to speak with her. The Pale Moon Moth, their patron, was in trouble. This concludes the recaps for episodes 6 through 10. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you continue to.